0: You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition.
1: We are back on another edition of the Advanced Colorado Rundown. I am Michael Fields. Uh, Today we are joined by... Uh, Barb Kirkmeyer, state senator, uh, former county commissioner, uh, member of the JBC, just an all around uh, great public official. And we are happy to have you on, Barb.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: So you just ended session this last week and wanted to first get your overall impressions of how session went. I know you went through a few of these now. How was it compared to other ones? What were your general thoughts about session this year?
2: Um, This one was more exhausting. I don't know if it was because I was on the Joint Budget Committee or just those last 10 days. Uh, Having major tax policy, major land use bills all being introduced in the last couple of weeks. I mean, one bill we had introduced three days before session was over. Uh, That was, you know, it's just it doesn't make for good policy. Um, What it is is just bad politics. So it was it was frustrating. I would say it was maybe more frustrating this year than other years.
1: Yeah. I wanted to get a little bit into that, uh, you know, last second bill uh, or series of bills on, on property taxes. Uh, it seems like, you know, I've been watching this for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. And it seems like a lot of times the worst bills come right at the end. Uh, things that aren't thought out that aren't, you know, there's not a lot of collaboration. How did you feel process wise that the property tax, uh, bill went, you know, kind of came, it, it came last couple of days. What did that look like?
2: I honestly, I just think it was shameful. Um, To me, you know, having been in local government for 20 years where the public hearing and the public process is forefront and, you know, you're most concerned about and you have to have that consideration, the fact that we were hearing the major tax policy, Senate Bill 303, on a Tuesday morning. So I got introduced on Monday at like, I, I don't know, noon is when they had their press conference. The bill wasn't even online until 1030 at night. Right. Um, the next morning, you know, you're trying to read through a 60 page bill, a 25 page appropriations and we're in appropriations at 10 o'clock. And literally when I sat down, I had looked through appropriations, the fiscal note, but I hadn't even started on the bill yet. So when I sat down in committee, I get a five minute intro from the two sponsors and I'm like, that's it. I mean, seriously, that's it. And what's the public supposed to be, think here? I mean, they couldn't explain it at all. So, you know, I just started off and I said, great, section one, there's new language and statute. What does it mean? And they didn't know. So I'm like, you're introducing a bill late in session. You give me all of like an hour or two to actually try and decipher all these pages of bill and we're in appropriations. We're supposed to be voting on it. You give me five minutes and then you can't tell me what section one means. The new language in section one means. I'm like, that's ridiculous. So. That was um, and I'm thinking, how's the public supposed to deal with this? You know, because this is appropriations was the committee of reference for that tax policy for 303. And how's the how's the public supposed to deal with this? The, I mean, the fact that we had very limited policy or public hearing on this, um, I think, is very telling as well. I mean, I think they didn't want the public commenting and they didn't have the opportunity to comment. We had we had another bill that I mean, well, even on this one. The very last day when it came back to the Senate and the vote was for concurrence, the motion was for concurrence. Mm -hmm. We did not even have the re-revised bill from the House on our desks. So they expected us to vote on something and they were all prepared to vote on it. That night at nine o'clock with not even seeing the bill, they didn't even know it was in it. I just think that shit.
1: And I think, you know, I got to to listen to a little bit of the, uh, you know, the floor talks and, and you, I heard you and, and lundine talk. And uh, I think you guys know this issue a lot better than some of these uh, people who are voting in favor without the bill in front of them. But, you know, you went through kind of the history of how we got here. And I think that is an important part of this, of, you know, we repealed uh, the Gallagher Amendment in, in 2020. And. Since then, they've had a lot of time to come up with something, have collaboration yeah. with, you know, county commissioners, with everybody else. Uh, and it seemed like that didn't happen. But I guess my my question, we have all seen the skyrocketing assessment uh, assessments that are going on. We know this big spike is coming. Do you feel like in 303 that there is enough property tax relief for homeowners?
2: I don't think there's basically any property tax relief for homeowners. I mean, um, and that's not even what this bill is about, even though that's what they said it was about. I mean, we could drop the assessment ratio I'm going to a ballot initiative. We could have just lowered it. We could have put a freeze on assessed values without going to a um, ballot initiative. But here we are going to a ballot. And I think Senator Hansen, who is a sponsor, prime sponsor on this bill, said it very well when he finally started talking about the bill on the floor after, you know, myself and Senator Lundine and a few others are asking questions. He finally said it. It's about your TABOR refunds. It's about eliminating TABOR and dismantling TABOR in perpetuity. I mean, there are hidden things in these bills that in this bill in 303 that essentially says once we go to a vote once on taking your TABOR refunds, we don't ever have to go back to you again. That's what's in it. So it was about education funding, which we don't need. Um you know, based on this and you're still going to see. I mean, property tax owners are still going to see an increase in their property taxes. It's not going away. You know, I think when somebody says I'm getting a decrease, it means when I get my tax bill last year and it was 4,400 bucks that this year it should be less than 4,400 bucks, but it's still going to be higher. So we're not getting a property tax decrease.
1: Yeah, much higher. And I think that's a great point that we're just slightly stro- uh, slowing the, the increase of growth and not by a whole lot in this bill. I mean, you look at the first year, uh, the assessment rate goes from the current rate, which is 6.76 to 6.7 percent, uh, not much of a drop at all. It is about taking our Tabor refunds. And Absolutely. you know, you, you think about they tried <laughs> to do this with Proposition CC a couple of years ago, um, and now they're just basically pairing that with, quote unquote, property tax relief. <clears throat> I guess one question that I have, and it's something that we're fighting in court, uh, we're fighting single subject in court, basically saying you can't put all these things together into one measure. Uh, If citizens brought this, they would be laughed out of title board because there's renter stuff, there is uh, property tax relief, there's Tabor resets, there's all kinds of stuff going on, Um, but also the ballot language. You know, When we put something on the ballot, it has to have language that is prescribed by the legislature about what it'll cut, uh, the amount of money, et cetera. Um, can you comment on the ballot language in this case? It seemed like it's really uh, appealing language, but doesn't give a whole lot of information to voters.
2: It it doesn't give a whole lot of information to voters. And if you if you don't follow it, you don't even know. Um, you, you just will not even know. Uh, I think they're going to campaign on that. It's all about education funding. So you're going to get decreased property taxes and we're going to get increased education funding. And I don't think people are going to understand that from the very beginning. When, like I said, it's really about just getting your TABOR refund. Um, they don't even realize that you have to go and apply for the the tax property tax reduction, if you're going to get any, to get from, you know, uh, 7 point, what is it? 6.765 down to 6.7 period. I mean, yeah. seriously, 0.065. But um, I just don't think people are going to understand it. I mean, when I was reading it over the microphone and mm-hmm. it, it just kept going, I was like, Who's even going to understand this? I'm thinking basically there are probably about 95 out of the hundred legislators who don't understand it.
1: Yeah, So I, I think you're right. And I think this is the point is trying to, you know, confuse people in ballot language, make something seem really appealing and not understanding these are taper refunds you're talking about, not just the state surplus. Can we spend it on this? Um, I, I think, you know, we're really challenging that we, voters need to understand and have more information on this uh, than what they're going to get in the ballot language. And, you know, we've Absolutely. gone through this several years with Ref C and then Prop CC, uh, at least in all those cases, they they had good ballot language for them, but they talked about how the state can't keep this money. Otherwise, it's not authorized under law. In this case, it's just, can we use the state surplus to lower your taxes? So, you know, we're, we're going to do a lot of education uh, based on what this really means for people so they can make an, an informed decision. One thing that I wanted to, shifting gears here, wanted to ask you about was there was another, there's kind of two big bills going on at the same time at the end of session. Uh, one was this property tax one. The other was this, you know, total overhaul to, to zoning regulations in our state. Uh, I know you spoke out against it. it, ended up dying eventually, but can you walk us through kind of where it started to where it ended up in that battle?
2: Well, it started on the first floor behind closed doors. And for those of you don't know, first floor is the governor's office um, and it started there behind closed doors. People like the counties, the municipal league, the special districts all thought they were supposed to be participating, thought they were stakeholders until they saw the drop, the bill drop. Um, and they did, they saw it about the same time. We all saw it in the legislature and it was nothing like what they thought they were working on. Um, so Again, it just it just started behind closed doors. I don't even think the bill sponsor, Senator Moreno, he didn't even like his bill. (laughs) And quite honestly, when I was, you know, um, I sit on the Joint Budget Committee, so I don't sit on any committees. But when that bill came up, I went and asked uh, Senator Rich if she would trade out with me and let me take her spot. And she's like, it's all yours. You'll (laughs) probably be there till midnight. And I was like, that's great. Um, And so when I was questioning Senator Moreno in the committee again, he doesn't understand the difference between property rights and vested rights. He doesn't understand about deed restrictions and he sat on a commerce city council. So he should have understood some of this stuff, but he didn't even know what all his bill was doing or wasn't doing kind of thing. Cause I'm like, where's the affordable housing. This is supposed to be about affordable housing. How many units he, he couldn't give me anything. And I am like, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. So, um, it started there. He didn't really know it was in his bill. We had a 12-hour hearing approximately. Um, well, part of that, we waited. We were in a senatorial five, so we're waiting for him and the governor to try and figure out what they were going to do next um, because they understood that everybody didn't like their bill. And they also didn't understand the constitutional measures in it with regard to homeroom municipalities. I'm like, this bill's dead. Even if it passes, this law is never going to happen kind right. of thing. Um, plus, you're never going to get there. Um, they don't understand, again, the public process that takes place to develop comprehensive plans, to do a zoning change. Um, and, you know, the thing that was amazing to me is they are talking about affordable housing for everybody but the people who are actually out there working and paying all the taxes. You know, those two family, those two parent homes that they're like, look, we just looked for this place and this is a perfect place for our family. We're going to put our major investment into a house. I mean, that's everybody's major investment. And here comes the governor that's saying, "Look, we don't care what you want. We don't care what your community looks like at this point because I'm going to develop a 13-member bureaucratic committee advisory committee who's going to determine what your neighborhood looks like, what your community looks like, and what this state looks like for the next 25 years." And that's yep. ridiculous.
1: And I was—I think there was a lot of pushback from from localities. <laughs> obviously, it was one of those times that um, you know a lot of things get through, or there might be some you know interests that that will weigh in. But this was a all out pushback against this. And you look at it, it was in the House, then it got or it got gutted um, significantly in the Senate, but went back to yeah. the, the House and the House, put all this stuff back in. Um, I guess what was the calculation? I mean, obviously, the governor was pushing for that, um, wanted this battle to happen again, but ends up losing it. What do you think the thought process was behind, you know, that was just going to bully it through the Senate? Or, or what was the, the 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 strategy behind that?
2: I, I think his strategy was this: we just got it. we were getting down late into the session because they laid the bill over in committee for like two weeks. Right. Um. So when I went back there, I had a um, I had a strike below amendment. When we went back into committee, um, Senator Moreno came in with a thirty-page amendment that were again we're supposed to read right on the spot kind of thing, right. and um, and and that was that was like one of twenty-five amendments that he had but one was a 30 page amendment that substantially changed the bill and i think they were listening to the comments that they were getting from municipalities from um, homeowners the homeowners associations folks those types of people but then when we got to appropriations senator moreno so i came in with a strike below during committee um that obviously didn't pass because i'm in the minority when i came in when we came into appropriations because the bill had to go to appropriations senator uh, moreno had a strike below that looked Awfully similar to my strike below. <laughs> and I think they were just thinking, we just got to get it out of appropriations because there were a couple, uh, Democrat senators are like, we can't vote for this bill the way it is. We mm-hmm. just can't. And they'd already made promises to their local governments, to their, you know, municipalities that they were not going to vote for it. So Senator Moreno came in with, um, an amendment that the concepts that were in his amendment were the same concepts of mine. They changed the wording a little bit. Um, And that was purposely to get it out of appropriations. So they get it out of appropriations, get it onto the Senate floor. And again, they allowed everybody to hang all sorts of, you know, we call them Christmas tree bills at that point. They're hanging all sorts of amendments on his bill. I mean, uh, we had one senator, Senator Bridges, who put an amendment in that was like, um, if regional planning associations don't know what they're doing, then I mean, and I'm paraphrasing here. But essentially, if they don't know what they're doing, the Department of Local Affairs will figure out how to help you plan. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, you know, I mean, it was just it just got so ridiculous. But their whole goal was to get it out of the Senate. When it went back over to the House, they added everything back in and I think their goal at that point was we're going to we're going to push it all the way to the end and then slam it through when, you know, the rules go away, um you don't have as much ability to debate, yeah. uh, filibuster or that kind of thing. Um the problem was is when it came back from the House, They there was at least I know because I spoke with six Democrats um, that said that they would stick with the Republicans and would not support the bill unless it went to conference committee and came back to pretty close to the Senate version. Right. Um, And I think they underestimated their some of their um, Uh, folks in their party. Yeah. Yeah
1: you know i and i think this is one of the benefits of having uh senators like you who have worked at on local government level for so long or you know byron pelton who's done it too uh you know just understanding how things at the state can impact localities uh in this case in a negative way and so i'm glad that that one went down i'm you know afraid that it's going to come back uh you know the governor doesn't like taking losses very well and therefore i'm sure they're going to try to to come back with something but I, I wanted the last subject I wanted to to touch with you is education. I know you for years have been kind of a leader on school funding, school finance. Can you talk about some of the efforts that you're doing along those lines and if they were successful or not this year?
2: Well, one of the efforts we had was to buy down totally the budget stabilization factor, which is basically um, legislators put in place what I call a constitutional workaround back in about 2009. Um, And they worked around with the voters vote on saying, you know, you need to fund education at um, your base amount plus inflation. And the legislature came back in 2009 and said, um, well, what we're going to do is and they went to court and they, you know, it's a workaround that's legal, apparently. But what they do is, is they say, this is how much we think we're going to fund education. Now we're going to go finish the budget. And then we're going to come back and say, this is how we're going to balance, how we're going to stabilize our budget. Based on lowering the amount of money that we fund into education. So that's how we came up with what's called a budget stabilization factor and this whole buy down of where we were like three hundred twenty one million dollars short of where we should be uh, Mm -hmm. to fund education. And myself and Senator Lundine and some others have really been working on this very stringently to get the buy down all the way down because of what happened in 303 Senate bill 303, where there's like, Oh, we need your TABOR refunds for education. And I'm like, no, we don't. So in um, the school finance act, they came in and keep in mind, the governor came in, we're trying to buy down, pay for education and then also buy down kind of what some people call an IOU to school districts of $321 million. The governor came in in his request, 35 million. He thought we should just buy down 35 million. I thought we should buy down the whole thing. Um, we eventually got it raised to um, Senator Lundine got it raised to 150 million, buy down. And I'm like, that's not good enough. I got on the education committee for that one meeting, and got an amendment passed that got it to 180 million. Um, we tried to get an, an amendment to pie it all the way down. We could not get that passed. Um, in fact, the governor threatened us with a special session, which I think I said on the Senate floor, I was like, bring it on. I would love to stand here and talk about education and tell everybody how we have. $4.6 billion in fund balances and state reserves that we could be paying for this and buying this down totally. So um, we're still working on trying to get that bought down because, again, here we are in 303. They're saying, we need your table refund for school finance. And I'm like, who says that when we have, again, $4.6 billion in fund balances and state reserves that we could have bought down education. We do not need your TABOR refunds to pay for education. We just need to uphold our oath of the Constitution and pay for it, pay for education. And then we can start working on making schools more accountable.
1: Yeah. And I think to, to that point, you would think that the Democrats would jump right on board wanting to to buy this down to pay for <laughs> it all. But I think to your, you know, your point about 303 and other tax increases is they want to be able to put the pressure, oh, you will get more money if you know, voters give us uh a lot more money and and, and in this case our Tabor refunds permanently. You know, they start chipping away at them and then, you know, after 10 years, ten years they're gone. Totally. Yeah.
2: It's for education. It's for the kids. And so we can pay our teachers more.
1: Yeah. And I wish that they would actually, you know, that money would get to teachers more. Uh that's I think a lot of people, especially during COVID and parents saw how hard some of these teachers work, um, and, you know, want to see them uh get better get better pay. But Uh, it seems like a lot of money goes into education. It doesn't end up necessarily in the classroom. But I think to your point about, you know, if there's a a constitutional mandate and and the money's there, why would we not uh, make sure that we're we're taking care of education?
2: Absolutely. It's important.
1: So, so Senator, I appreciate your time today. Would love to have you back on. Um, I know you're kind of always in the middle of all the battles. You're somebody I was watching even on the Senate floor that has a lot of respect, not only from your caucus, but the other caucus too. And just somebody who is tough and reasonable and just a good overall person. So love having you on our podcast. Thanks for making the time and and would love to have you again.
2: Yep. I would love anytime. Let me know. And uh, thank you so much for helping to get the message out because we just really do need to let taxpayers understand what's going on, what's going on with their money. How, you know, now after being on the budget, you know, I remember Senator Hansen last year telling me when I was telling him we should buy down education all the way and, pay, and fully fund it. He goes, we'll go find it in the budget. Well, I went and found it in the budget, yeah. Senator Hansen. So um, we need to let, you know, our taxpayers know where they stand and what is absolutely necessary and try and work to make sure that we do provide an affordable living for every Colorado not just a select few, but everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate your work and uh, talk to you again soon.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Advance Colorado Rundown, brought to you by Advance Colorado, the conservative thought leader driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at AdvanceColorado.org.